It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app with you for the next 60 minutes as we will continue to dive right into our draft preview. Three schools on tap today, so it'll be a very busy program, but still multiple ways for you to interact with us here at 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we've got Iowa, USC, and North Dakota State on tap today. And we're going to start in Hawkeye Nation and to delve into the Iowa football prospects for the 2022 NFL Draft. We are now joined by Rob Howe, who covers Iowa football for Hawkeye Nation. Rob, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to talking some Iowa football draft prospects. It's hard to believe we're already at that point of the, of the year again, but here we are. Absolutely. Yeah, we're only a few weeks away from all of these players hearing their names called. And let's start with the most notable prospect coming out of Iowa, and that is at the center position. And he is considered arguably the best center in this class. And that, of course, is Tyler Linderbaum, who is 6'3", 290. Though what's interesting, Rob, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, a lot of people claim, well, he doesn't really have the ideal size for the center position, perhaps, at the next level. What would your response be, considering you've seen him consistently line up at that position during the course of his collegiate career? Yeah, and interestingly enough, guys, um, he did not work out at the Combine. Um, he suffered an injury in the Capital One Bowl against Kentucky. He did not work at the, out at the Combine. He did not work at, out at Iowa's Pro Day. He worked out individually earlier this week i think we lost yeah him. i was gonna say i think we did lose rob so we'll see whether or not we could get him up on the line as it seemed he dropped out he was talking about obviously tyler linderbaum who is their top prospect without a doubt and the fact that he didn't necessarily take part in all of the off-season activities but this is somebody that logged 908 snaps Paul, in 2021, he started 15 games, and his number is certainly impressive, but some people that I've seen, I don't know if you've seen much of it, but they maybe this is just a nitpicking aspect of the draft about you know whether or not he is that great size at the center spot that you usually yearn for. Well, look at the numbers, Lance. 6'2", 295, 32-inch arms, 78-inch wingspan. These are things that John and I have talked about over the last couple of months. You know, early on during the offseason, there were a ton of people who said, okay, because he's clearly the best technician and the best um, pro-ready guy coming out because of his style and his skill set, he's got to be the first center off the board. And, man, the Giants really need to think about going after him. Well, the Giants signed Feliciano off of the, the Bills roster as a free agent to kind of solidify the center spot, which kind of – mitigates the need for a center. And then on top of that, when you examine Linderbaum even more, you find out that because of his smallish frame 
and shorter arms. He is going to have some trouble, you think, with bigger, stronger, mammoth defensive tackles in the league. He probably is going to have some trouble in pass protection because the length isn't there and some of the physicality isn't there to bump off some of these bigger guys and some guys who will come in on on stunts. He's not going to be able to reach them, and he's not going to be able to get enough of a hit on them. So, you know, I'll be frank with you. I don't understand anybody who thinks Linderbaum is a top 15 prospect. I don't see it. I get the fact that he's got great skills. He's got the experience. He uses leverage and technique extremely well, but I just don't necessarily think that I could pick him that high. Well, and that's why I brought that up, because I think certainly it's a fair question as to whether or not his skill set alone, his frame, you could have a separate conversation about will transfer over in terms of his play, especially when, to your point, you're going to go up against some of those big nose tackles and big defensive linemen inside. All right, so we've got Rob Howe back on the line. So, Rob, just when you dropped off, you were responding to my question about him not necessarily taking part in all off-season activities and answering this question about whether or not his size will translate accordingly. Yeah, listening in to, uh, to what you guys were saying as I was waiting to get back on with you, uh, I think you addressed the knocks on him to this point. Shorter arms, uh, can he match up physically? Uh, he did weigh in at over 300 pounds earlier this week, uh, so he's added probably 10 to 15 pounds mm. since the end of the season. So he, ha- he has been able to work out, just not you know run, things like that with the knee injury. But um, I think he answered some questions on Monday. He tested really well. Um, it's going to be somebody who believes in him, who watches the film and says, man, this guy dominated in the Big Ten. And he did dominate. He was, you know, if you look at, you know, if you put a lot of stock into uh, analytics, he graded out as well as any offensive lineman in the country, regardless of position. So it's just going to be a matter of somebody that believes that he can play with the shorter arms, believes in his leverage, and understands how he can play the position. He he was a defensive tackle as a true freshman. He didn't move over to the offensive line until bowl prep uh, before his, uh, which would have been his redshirt freshman year. So he's still pretty young at the position too. Um, real smart kid. Um, I, I've known him since he was in high school because he grew up pretty close to around here, uh, 20 minutes away. He went to high school. Really good all-around athlete, wrestler, track, baseball, um, so, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where he's – it seems like, guys, that he's got uh, – he's, he's one of those um, – what do you call it? Um, volatile prospects or, or, you know, you either love him or you, or you don't. You don't think he can do it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Rob, because you, you've seen every one of his snaps. Uh, I've looked at cut-ups on him, and the cut-ups show you that he's an outstanding technician. Nobody is ever going to argue that. He clearly has the smarts. He reads well. He's got good vision. He knows exactly what he's doing in terms of the position. But in your mind, do you ever recall him facing an opponent that was so good, so big, so strong that you were shaking your head and saying, ah, he looks like he could be a bit overmatched? And I'm not talking necessarily about this past season when – Obviously, some of the analytics people graded him very highly. I'm talking about over the course of the, the years that you have watched him play. Did you see him go up against someone who just was too big and powerful and overmatched him? I would say not in the last couple of years. When that first, you know, his redshirt freshman year, when he first flipped over, it was his first year starting at center. Uh, there were times where I felt that way. 
Um, but as you know, the last two years have gone on, particularly uh, during you know the, the strangeness, strangeness with the pandemic and him, you know, the 2020 season, but particularly this last season, I thought he met every challenge. Um, and, I, and again, the question is, he spent most of his time in his own blocking scheme, so that's the, you know, can mm-hmm. he can he can he run gap? Can he, you know, excel in another system outside of that? That's another question I think that teams have to answer. But um, I think, and we've seen this with Iowa offensive linemen before, as you talked about, technicians learning how to play with leverage, learning how to maybe be able to survive and, and excel when maybe physically you don't, you're not the cookie-cutter type. And he kind of falls into that category for me. I have a lot of belief in the kid. Um, I'm not an NFL expert by any means, but as somebody who's covered Iowa football for 25 years, he's as he's as good as any offensive lineman that's come through here. Rob, you mentioned earlier that when you think about him playing at the center position, not a huge sample size because he started off on the defensive side of the ball as a freshman. I'm always interested. We were actually coincidentally talking about Troy Anderson yesterday from Montana State, and he's a guy that went from quarterback and running back to linebacker. What was the rationale as to why they tried to experiment with him on the offensive line after he, I'm assuming, was initially recruited and slid in on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, it was partially need and then partially projection. And I think they had um, depth at the defensive line at the time and were lacking it on the offensive line. And they lost James Daniels, who ended up going to the Bears and is now with Mm -hmm. the Steelers. So there was an opening there for him. He played some center in high school. He was good. I actually scouted some of his high school games. I thought he was as good as a center as he was as a defensive tackle. So it was really just a matter of, um, you know, Iowa's had a pretty good history of moving guys from position to position and having success. And it was more just a vision that they felt like he could play the position from a physical standpoint. And then as you guys talked about mentally understanding how to play that position, a lot is asked of him in the Iowa system as a center. Um, and they felt like he could handle that from a mental perspective. And I think he did a good job of that. You know, Rob, because of the, the frame and length limitations, he is going to be a one-position player. He comes into the NFL. He is a center, and that's, that's what he's great at. Well, that's what he's got to be. I think in this day and age, so much emphasis is put on versatility, and you hear all the time about, well, this guy's an interior offensive lineman because he can play both guard spots and center. I wonder how much you think that will hurt his draft value, understanding that he really is a one-position guy. Yeah, it's a great point, and obviously – uh, with so many Iowa offensive linemen that have come through here and gone on to the NFL, that's been a, uh, you know, that's been a characteristic that they've been lauded for. You know, from, you know, Marshall Yonda played tackle here, Robert Gallery played tackle here, Brandon Scherf played tackle here. A lot of really good guys that played tackle here that moved inside when they got to the next level. He is a center. And a team's going to have to decide whether that, you know, what is it worth investing in that position with the opportunity that he could be really good, but also that he's locked into one position. So that is definitely another um, consideration, I think, when you look at him and, and what he can be at the next level. 
We're talking about Rob Howe, who covers Iowa football for Hawkeye Nation. Well, I think somebody that actually does fall under the umbrella of versatility on the offensive line, because I want to stay on that position before we jump around, is Mark Kallenberger, because he actually played everywhere except, I believe, center when you look at his career over the last few seasons. So what do you think his best fit is, Rob, at the next level, considering he's logged time at both tackle positions and both guard positions? Yeah, he's played a little bit more guard uh, in college. And then as he kind of got older and um, kind of developed technique on the outside and, and added some more strength, I think he moved out there and did, did really well. Um, not having him last year was, was a big deal for Iowa. Uh, he probably would have been, uh, after Linderbaum, their best offensive lineman. So the question for him not you know playing football for a year where is he at development wise uh and he's never really been a consistent starter at the college level so it's going to be somebody who believes in development with him because he still has more development you know before he's able to to go out and contribute in my mind let me stick with offense and mention one other guy who's a little bit intriguing for me that's tyler goodson the running back who i think you know he looks like he's going to play well in space uh, I wonder if he could be a third down back because of his quicks, but at the same time, I'm also concerned about pass protection, Rob. Yeah, and that's that's definitely legitimate. And uh, also, um, this year was tough to evaluate him, guys, because the offensive line was so inconsistent. So you, you were wondering, all right, how much is this him being indecisive and waiting for something that's not going to happen because – the offensive line isn't going to open that hole, and he needs to just hit it up in there and go. Um, and how much was you know the offensive line not opening enough holes and him just being smothered all the time? If you watch the tape, there's there was way too much of that this mm-hmm. year. Uh, the previous two years, he was really productive. He had a better offensive line uh, and really produced a lot better. Uh, he's a he's a good receiver. Um, I think that's an aspect that that teams can use, as you talked about, for the third down back. Uh, But he's got to prove, you know, he can be a a more all-around guy, I think. He's kind of been a, you know, somewhat of a home run hitter at this point, but not a guy that you can count on, you know, three downs. And that's going to be the question he has to answer. And then just physicality, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Well, he had 70 career receptions, so to your point, certainly can be involved in the passing game, but you got to be able to pass protect if you're going to stay on the field on third down. I want to jump, Rob, to the defensive side of the ball, and Dane Belton is somebody that seemed to be relatively quiet in terms of opportunistic plays in his first two seasons, and then he had five picks this past year, so that certainly jumps off the page. And then, from what I understand, not only did they use him as a safety, but he got some work at outside linebacker. So how much of that jack-of-all-trades player can actually translate in your mind to the National Football League? Yeah, I think he's a, you know, a guy that fits in well with how defensives have kind of transitioned over time and having a guy uh, that can play safety and cover and then also move down into the box and be physical and he was kind of thrown to the world, the Wolves his true freshman year, midway through the season. Um, Amani Hooker, you guys know from the Tennessee Titans, who's kind of developed. Um, he was the first guy that played that cash position for Iowa back in 2019. Iowa went to that. 
that hybrid position. Amani Hooker excelled at it, ended up going into the draft early, and has kind of developed with the Titans as well as a guy that's can, can you know is a well-rounded guy in the back. Um, and I think I, I think Belton can be that. Um, he's kind of developed while he's here. He's only a three-year guy in college, so he's still pretty young. Um, but he really uh, settled into that role this past year. Um, really good in coverage. Really good in run run stopping ability. Um, if he if they can find a, you know if somebody with that system that wants a guy that's versatile like that, I think he could be a pretty good pro. I would only add, Rob, to me, when he gets to this level, I see him being a really good fit for that sub package and the three safety look more so than anything else. At least that's what I thought. Yeah, no question. I think Imani Hooker's done well with that in Tennessee. Um, I think Imani Hooker's maybe a little bit better athlete, all-around athlete, than Dane. Uh, but Dane may be a little bit more physical at this stage uh, of his career. So not a direct comp, but guys you can look at who played that position, position, cash position at Iowa and say, okay, this is what Hooker is at the next level. Can Belton do the same thing or something similar? He is Rob Howe, who covers Iowa football for Hawkeye Nation. Rob, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to talking down the road. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Be well. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You as well. So, Rob providing the breakdown of the Iowa prospects. So, a few other guys in the mix that could be drafted outside of Tyler Linderbaum. And as he mentioned, the thing about Iowa, and I'm sure team executives take this into consideration, Track record matters. If you know, especially that coaching staff, and Kirk Ferentz has been there for, <laughs> right, how long? He's okay, awesome. so, yeah, if he has a track record of producing offensive linemen, I think as an executive, as a member of the NFL coaching staff, you're going to feel pretty good. Okay, they do a good job grooming these guys. They translate it over to the NFL. So I think that helps maybe a guy like Linderbaum. Clearly, you got to be confident that you figure he's going to be able to handle his own. But I do think the program some of these players comes from helps elevate them to a certain degree. I don't think there's any doubt about that, Lance. You're talking about guys who are mentally much more advanced maybe than coming out of other NCAA programs because that's one thing about Ferentz. He makes sure that you know what you're doing. You're not going to have guys who are mentally undisciplined coming coming out of the Hawkeyes program. That's just not the case. We talk about the same thing with Saban and uh, with the Crimson Tide. Sure. You know, you play for him, you know what you're doing on the field. It's just that simple. Well, we got one down. We still have two more to go. So now we're going to turn our attention to North Dakota State, which also has produced some NFL talent over the years. They've also been a powerhouse at the FCS level in terms of college football. And to give us a taste of what we can expect from this year's class, we're now joined by Jeff Kolpak, who covers North Dakota State football for the Fargo Forum. Jeff, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Well, yeah, that's great. It's another year, another FCS North Dakota State guy being talked about in the first round. It's it's really mind-blowing. I've covered this team since 1995. Never in a million years would I have said, okay, all right, you got Carson Wentz. That's maybe one in a whatever 30-year deal. Okay, then, you know, four years later, here comes Trey Lance, and you thought, wow, that's really bizarre. Two quarterbacks in the first round from North Dakota State. Right of all things, <laughs> now here comes another guy, Christian Watson. I, it's just it's it's mind it's mind numbing. 
Yeah, it is indeed, but certainly great news for the program. And let's start with the player you just brought up, Christian Watson. A lot of buzz surrounding him. Clearly, he's made a name for himself because of his work at the Senior Bowl, too, which I think really helped elevate how he's looked upon in conjunction with some of this other top-tier talent. It's hard to really knock him because it seems as if he's got the blend of size, speed, and length, which is what NFL teams certainly are looking for in terms of that level of a wide receiver. How much did all three of those facets, Jeff, from the time that you've been following him, work so consistently in his favor? Hey, you know, look, guys, when, when Christian came here, he came from Tampa, Florida, and when he was a freshman, redshirt freshman, he wasn't really on the radar. He was really young, immature, very underdeveloped. I mean, the guy, would look, he looked like a little twig out there, a little <laughs> tall one, just a tall drink of water playing wide receiver. But I think over time, he found some maturity. I think some of the older guys took him under their wing and said, no, 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 young, this is how you work out in Division One football. You know, you, you can't be late for meetings and, and whatever, do immature stuff. So over the course of maybe his first two, three years, he, he found that maturity and he found his development. But still in 2019, you know, just as recently as that, he had some really – incredible plays against Montana State in the playoffs and, and he hauled in a couple of bombs from Trey that he went, Wow, that's that's really something. But still at that point in two thousand nineteen, you're thinking, no, there's no way this guy is second first round draft material. Just whatever reason he just didn't really, you know, blow it out of the water, you know, consistently. God, that just changed. I mean, uh spring football season was was, you know, it it was what it was for FCS. It, was, it just wasn't fun. It wasn't. It was. It was interrupted by COVID nineteen all the time, and, and that. But I think last fall, and then here's a testament to uh, what the NFL recruiting situations with with their combines and their all star games, and they just find out whether these kids are are, are are there or not. And Christian is just. Down to the top. We didn't know what his 40 time was. I was always wondering, okay, what is his 40 time? And when he turned in a 4-3, I went, oh, okay. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This guy's fast. Well, when, when you look at his career average of almost 20 yards a catch, uh, that's going to hint uh, at something is going to be uh, pretty funky uh, with his 40 yeah. time. The, the knee and the hamstring injuries that, that he had to deal with, uh, how much is that an issue, if at all, when these uh, NFL medics start taking a look at him? Yeah, no, that's behind him. That, 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 I think that was probably his real first injury, his career, and it was a you know what a strain or a sprain or whatever. I I don't think that'll be an issue whatsoever when it comes time for a draft. I mean, guys get hurt in football. I mean, it wasn't wasn't an ACL or anything like that. So it was something, and he showed in the national title game and early January in Frisco, Texas, that, that he was well past that, mm -hmm. made some plays, that, and it was on a bad field, too, where he made more plays. But I think that's a 0% non-factor. Excellent. Well, a bigger question is, what about adding some strength? Because he's going to have to face some nasty defensive backs at this level who will want to jam him, who will want to go with press coverage against him. And I guarantee you he hasn't faced anything like that where he was playing. No, I'm sure not, but, you know, he's not small either. He's 6'4", he's over 200 pounds. And here's the thing about NDSU football is that it's a physical program. I mean, they play the, the West Coast offense, which is a physical, 
power-based run game. And that's another reason I think, you know, Christian is really not is maybe overlooked in the college level is they play in a – it's a run-oriented offense. I mean, they play smash-mouth football. They play the type of football that nobody wants to face when you're a defense. I mean, uh, you know, everything's run and gun and, and, and spread offense. That's not the way NDSU does things. And I think that's why they're so good is they find guys willing to play a physical ball. Christian has done a lot of blocking in his time, believe me. I mean, if you don't block as a receiver – with the bison you're not going to play it's as simple as that so and, and practices are that way too they're physical i mean so i don't think the physical nature of pro football will be a big deal either with them because that's what he's been used to for four or five years here i i was just out at spring practice this morning they, they practice at 7 a.m their first meetings at 5 40 a.m you know how many programs do that and and, and the kids that's what the kids buy into it they're used to the, that kind of a, a work ethic i I don't think a physical nature of play is going to be, you know, as big as hindrance. I just think, you know, you know, being a part of a, of, of a stronger, faster, bigger offense that uh, you have to get used to a quarterback, maybe with a stronger arm and things like that. Now, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up the structure of the offensive system because I think a lot of people say, well, he didn't have a 1,000-yard season. But to your point, if it's a run-heavy offense, what he actually did put up is quite impressive under the circumstances and the fact that he didn't have Trey Lance last season who was in the NFL. So yeah. I think those are probably factors, to your point, why he was a bit overlooked. The other aspect of his game that I think deserves some attention is he was a special teams return man, and he averaged 26 yards per kickoff return which certainly is something that deserves some attention. What stood out to you about his ability there, and how much do you think teams, even though maybe they want to utilize him as a main receiver, could actually still throw some special teams assignments his way? Yeah, he never uh, – well, he took a couple to the house when he first started doing that, and this year teams just flat out kicked away from him. And <laughs> Good idea. You know, they did. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> Where's Christian lined up, and Bison tried to do some things where they line up at an eye and kick return, and – and, and, and you know, then then you guess which way Christian's going to go. So, uh, yeah, he just never got the opportunities this year because teams just didn't want to give him that opportunity. But as far as his speed, if you if you want one thing, you guys, Google North Dakota State Montana State 2019 playoff for Christian Watson. He has two plays there that were to me like Randy Moss like esque when he was at Marshall, mm-hmm. where he just incredibly ran away from players. And again, this is like the semifinals, so you're playing against some pretty good teams. He, he just ran away from players who had the angle. And you look at, and, and that's, that was in 2018. And I, I look at those two plays and went, wow, okay, that's different. You know, that, that, that's Trey Lance different. That's Carson Wentz different. And so just those two plays alone, I, I think if you're a fan out there and you look at the speed of, uh, you know, just sort of the explosiveness that he showed there, that to me, says, okay, he has the ability to play at the next level. You know, there's these other things now, too. Can you route run? Can you catch in traffic? Can you go against all pro corners? I mean, those are other things that he needs to learn and figure out. But as far as athletic ability, I think those two plays alone say, okay, he belongs there, at least athletically. I've got one more guy for you, Jeff. Cordell Volson, yep. who uh, has played right tackle, left tackle, right guard. I think he's a guard when he gets to the NFL. I, I love his run-blocking ability in a phone booth. I don't necessarily think that at the NFL level uh, it's going to suit him well to be on the edge. 
But uh, tell me what you see in him. And, and I think the one thing that stuck out at me when I did a little bit of research on him was that he came into the program at 250 pounds, and now he's leaving at 315. <laughs> yeah. That's 65 pounds of beef he put on while he was uh, in the lunchroom. <laughs> yeah, and he stuck together, too. He's one tough bastard. I mean, he is just a tough nut. And here's an example of Cordell Volson. He's from Belfort, North Dakota, which is a population of, I don't know, 30 people. And he lives outside of there. He's from a family. His brother was in the Giants camp, I believe, as a center. Uh, Tanner Volson and, and didn't quite stick. They're just big people. His dad runs a construction business, a trucking business, whatever. And, and here's how tough this family is. When, when trains derail, they call these guys to clean it up. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> call that is Volson's a heck of a milk. story. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you want a guy who cleans up train derailments as, as, as your offensive lineman? I mean, uh, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> Man. That is something. Wow. Oh, I, now, I, now I hope he does get here so we can hear some of those stories. Yeah, oh, that man. would be. Yeah. Yeah. His dad, Ralph, he, I mean, they're all just, just born, you know, they eat nails for breakfast. I don't know. I mean, that's just the way they grew up. And, and that's how, really how NDSU breads its butter. There's a lot of these guys they get over the years from just nowhere, right? I mean, you grew up just there's nothing out there. There's not a lot of coaching. They bring them in here. They develop them. And that's that's what you have to do to be an FCS program. You're not going to get the four-star recruits. Those guys are already established. You find the guy who's 6'6", 250, who played basketball, has good feet, has good length, you know, good mobility and agility, Then and you work with them. And that's what they did. That's what they did with Dylan Radens, uh, who's, you know, with the Titans, this what, yep. second and third-round pick. Um, you know, Joe Haig, came, he came from Brainerd, Minnesota. He's still in the league. He was six six, maybe two forty when he got here, and, and and Billy Turner, although he was more developed when he got here, was with the Packers. So they, they had these guys over the years that you know they, they they look at the frame and then they and then they build it, and and you can't really do that at, at the FBS level, you know at the at the Big Ten level because you want guys that you already know that are established. But here you can take risks of guys and give them a quarter ride or a half ride and say, you know what, we think there's potential there. You know, we'll give you tuition and books and see what you can do. What does it say, by the way, about his character and leadership ability that maybe he could have transferred up for his last year of playing instead of staying where he was? Yeah, he's a North Dakota guy. <laughs> they just want to be home, right? That, yeah, home, that yeah. home cooking is just too good. <laughs> you know, his family, his mom and dad had this van, and they still do, that they put, I don't know, 10,000 miles on it. And they got the two boys painted in the back, the Volson family van. It's big, of course, you know. And um, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, he's just too rooted here. And yeah. and I think people that move up, they lose sight of the fact that you need to move up to be noticed. I mean, really, you know, NFL guys are smart. They're they're not dumb. No doubt, they'll find yep. you. They'll find you. Hey Jeff, I'm an FCS guy. I mean, I call games, so I'm always you know promoting FCS guys. So trust me, there's no bias against the FCS coming out of me. But but I I am curious of a guy who is so rooted in the culture of of his hometown and his home state. When he does get to an NFL team, especially let's just say for argument's sake, he winds up here in New York. How is that mm-hmm. adjustment going to be for him? Well, he. <laughs> 
he made the adjustment from Belfort to a, a pretty good program here. It, you know, yeah, he's fine. He's that kid's smart. He's tough. It, that's not going to be uh, the big deal. I think he's more interested in mauling defensive linemen than he is <laughs> watching in downtown Manhattan, honestly, or you know, checking out the Big Apple. He's all about football and all about the grind and and those things. I, he's the type of guy that coaches love. I, I guarantee it that um, he's not going to. You know, it's all about it's all about the work getting the job done and, and he's not he's not going to go out to the apple and, and try to find broadway plays i guarantee you that well and to your point we've already seen some north dakota players go to some big time markets in the nfl so it's not as if that yeah. transition can't be made one last guy that i wanted to throw out there for you jeff before we let you go speaking of size and probably much more raw than maybe even volson but Matt Willetsko is six seven three fifty, and I mean that certainly alone is quite the presence. But it just seems like the fundamentals maybe don't match the size. How much is that a fair synopsis? And do you see maybe a team taking just a chance on him because once again six seven three fifty guys don't grow on trees? Yeah, he played up the road at the University of North Dakota, so I didn't get a chance to see him a whole lot other than when they played the Bison. I talked about University of North Dakota, uh, but yeah, I've heard. You know, good things about him. Uh, he's a physical guy, right? Uh, sure. You see good linemen in this league in Missouri Valley. I mean, the guy from Northern Iowa has been talked about penning as a first-round pick. Right? So I, I, it's a physical league. This is a physical football league. It's it's not, you know, it's not throw it around, um, you know, match style or whatever. They These guys get after each other. Right? So I, I would take a chance at any lineman who has some potential here just because they're used to the physical nature of football, and, and it's real football to these guys. I, so I, I would certainly, to me, he's a free agent guy. I, I think he'd be a decent free agent shot yeah. just because of the size and, and where he played. Well, that's why I threw him out. I just figured since you know you were in the area, perhaps you may have heard yeah. something, especially when you know about guys who maybe remove trains from the tracks. I figured <laughs> you may have heard something about a six seven three fifty guy. So we certainly appreciate the uh, time and the insight. He is Jeff Kolpak, who covers North Dakota State football for the Fargo Forum. Jeff, once again, thanks so much for joining us on this program, and we look forward to hearing from you down the road. Appreciate it, Jeff. Hey, my, yeah, my pleasure, guys. Talk to you later. You got it. So, Jeff, with some great stuff on the North Dakota State prospects and also individuals in the vicinity. Certainly, Christian Watson is the guy to look out for. There's a lot of buzz that he could very well go in the first round because of his size, his versatility. And, Paul, as Jeff mentioned, there are a number of plays that he made over the course of his career. It's not as if this guy's a possession receiver who, you know, just settles for 10 yards because you even referenced this. He averaged 20 yards per reception. He had 57 plays of 20 or more yards in his career. And he was only a three-year starter because, as Jeff mentioned, year one, it was more of, hey, let's just get familiar and get comfortable. So, I mean, that's a consistent mark that should well be worth highlighted for NFL scouts. The clips just make your jaw drop because he is a big play machine. There is no question about his speed and his length. He's the kind of guy who I always like to see if I could get one of those on my roster. I think the one issue for me, though, Lance, and look, I know this, and you know this too. I mean, you, you, you do Columbia games. I do FCS games. The one issue is... There are bigger, stronger corners, and, and those guys will jam you. They will chuck you. They will bump and run you. They will, they will get you off your routes. And as, as tough as, as he wants to tell us that Watson is, and I, I don't deny that he's tough, and I don't deny that he's got a mentality that I've got to be able to block for the run, 
That's different than being rerouted off of your game plan. And and that's the one thing that I think the scouts are going to want to find out about him. Is he the kind of guy who, hey, boy, he looks great when, when he's got the release and he's able to get out in space. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. But is he going to be a guy who's restricted to just running flies? Because the fly route, if he gets by, he's gone. Great. But what about if he's got to do the little nuances and pick up that third and 15? And that's and that's where it can get a little tricky. So I'm sure that that's something that the scouts have detailed with him. And if they're satisfied, uh, someone will pick him high and be very excited about it. If they're not satisfied, he'll drop a little bit more than some people might expect. And then he may wind up being a steal or may wind up being somebody who disappoints. Well, at 6'5", he certainly, I know it's the bait, is he 6'4", 6'5". I've seen some listings at 6'5". Even if he has some trouble, to your point, struggling with press coverage, maybe in the early stages, you figure, though, when it comes to the red zone and goal line situations, he at least can make some headway there in the early stage of his career because he's more than capable of winning some jump balls because of his frame. And then maybe the rest of his game will come with time in getting used to that physicality. I'm sure there's a place for him in the league. The question is how high do you draft him and how wide is the scope? Where's the upside? The guy ran a 4-3-6. So, Lance, there's going to be somebody out there who's salivating to get him. And rightfully so. Well, and I think the other reason why there may be some skepticism based on the program he comes from is you're in a class where there's depth at the wide receiver mm-hmm. position. So, right, so if too. it's Christian Watson versus a kid from Ohio State or Alabama or USC, right, who we're right. going to talk to shortly, you may say, I'd rather go with the safer bet who's dealt with press coverage, who's dealt with more physical corners, because I feel a lot better about that answering the call in year one as opposed to not showing up until maybe year two or year three. Well, we're going to talk to USC in just a bit here. We're going to find out about Drake London, who, by the way, is not a pure burner like Watson no. is. He, he He's just not. So, you know, what flavor of ice cream do you do you look for? And if you want that burner... Well, maybe you'll be a little bit shy about looking at London, no matter how good a prospect he is, and he checks a ton of boxes. But the one box he doesn't check is being a burner. Well, but despite not being a burner, he just He's really good. To, right. He seems to have a knack for still finding the football He's really good. and making plays. So, you know, it's almost like some guys they don't appear to be fast, but then you watch them and they still find ways to get open. Well, it's and, play fast. We talk about that too. Yeah. So that, to me, is probably what is going to help him at least feel secure about himself at the next level and teams feel even much better about him. If you could just find a way to get to the ball, be in the vicinity of the ball, make plays, which I certainly think he gets the check marks in, then that definitely bodes well for him. And then the other point is, Paul, I think it also depends on what the rest of your receiving core looks like and what you're going to ask right this prospect to do in comparison mm-hmm. to what you will may you may yeah. already have on the roster. Exactly. What is his role? Where does he fit in the room? That is always a big consideration. And look, you, you, you know me a long time, Lance. I always want to have that one skyscraper in the room. It really gets 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 to my under my skin if my entire wide receiver room is like six feet and less 
You know, come on. I don't need three, five, ten guys, a five eleven guy, and a six foot guy. I want a skyscraper in that room, and that's always a major factor for me. Well, and there's absolutely skyscrapers in this class, so I yes. think that it'll yes, be there suitable are. for your needs from that standpoint. All right, so we've covered two of our three programs. It's now time to put an exclamation point on the trifecta, and we now turn our attention to USC and to break down the Trojans class from this year. Well, that's not a good sign if we're hearing the phone not ring accordingly. So, Pearson, I'm not sure if that means we still have Eric on the line we or we don't. Good. We should be he good. should be good. Okay, so maybe that wasn't as bad of an omen as I suggested. But to get into the USC class, we have Eric McKinney joining us, the managing editor at WeRSC.com. Eric, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Uh, doing well out here. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the program. And let's start with Drake London, who we were actually just talking about before we had you on. He certainly meets the height requirements and the big playmaking ability. The knock on him is that he doesn't necessarily have the blazing speed. So from your perspective, how did he make up for the fact that he doesn't necessarily have the speed that jumps off the film and jumps off the page? He catches everything. Catches it. <laughs> Covered by one guy, two guys, three guys. I mean, it, at at certain points last year with that USC offense, you could tell the defense were throwing to Drake London, and and you were going to complete it. Uh, it's the the speed knock on him. I think is probably the long speed. Once you start looking at kind of how he gets in and out of breaks and how he moves, it, it really is remarkable how much kind of quick twitch he has and how he can get in and out of. In and out of routes, um, and get himself open against some of these smaller, faster defenders. Um, it, it, you know, you, you're going to hear the speed, and, and you're going to want to see kind of what he runs. His kind of individual pro day is coming up on Friday. Here, he's been able to sort of move that back as he keeps coming back from that ankle injury. Uh, but but he he catches everything, catches all, all the contested throws that seem to go his way. He comes down with them. No, and, and that's obvious, Eric. I don't think there's any question about that. You, you make a very fair point. And, and I think that's why when he gets to the NFL, uh, there will be some who will still put him at the flanker spot. But I think there will be some who will say, you know what, there's moments we can put him in the big slot because he does have the short quickness, the maneuverability, and the route running skills to be able to deal with a, with a nickel corner who's supposed to be natty like a mosquito and be able to hold on to him. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think London's going to be able to be productive out of that spot if, if teams want him to be there. And that's where he started. When he came in as a true freshman at USC, they, they basically used him like a tight end because they wanted to get him the ball, and they had a bunch of receivers. Michael Pittman's still there, and Amon Ross St. Brown is still there, and, and they had to find a spot against two guys who have done pretty well in the, in the NFL they had to find a spot to get Drake London on the field. That's how good he was as a true freshman going back to, to 2019. And, yeah, he, he operated out of the slot, and they moved him everywhere. So you're going to find film of him split way outside, come in you know, way, way tight on the, on the offensive line. and He's done a little bit of everything, and I think that's going to help him at that next level because, yeah, you don't need to find one specific spot for him. He can do a lot. In addition to his versatility – in terms of being able to move around, I think the other thing that's appealing 
Eric, about him is his desire to want to help in run blocking and get the running backs to the next level, and I think that's part of him having a big frame. How valuable was that for the USC offense, and how much did that jump out to you in terms of your time covering him? It was it was big. He is he honestly he is as tough as they come. And again, he when you look at him, he looks kind of thin and wiry and and that kind of thing. But he is as tough to tackle. And, and I know you're talking about blocking, but I'm just talking about kind of the the full sure. physical package. When when he gets the ball in his hands, he is as tough to tackle as I think anybody in the Pac-12 last year. And he will deliver hits. He will go after it. Uh, because he was such a known commodity coming in last year, you saw it specifically in that first game against San Jose State. That defense wanted to do everything they could to hit him during the play, before the play, after the play, everything. And, and he kept going, kept going. And, and he kind of prides himself on blocking. He prides himself on, on being that physical presence. I think it was, as you know, the biggest compliment you can give him is that USC season was terrible last year. He played as hard when they're losing games as when they're winning. Uh, and he knew he was going to get hit on every single play. He was going to get targeted so much. I mean, his, his usage rate last year was, was just incredible. And he just kept going and going and going. So he's going to play hard for you every single snap. If the ball's thrown to him, if he's blocking, whatever he's doing, uh, the work ethic there is, is just tremendous. Other than the fractured ankle, and now he's pushed his pro day back because because of a hamstring issue. Other than that situation, and I don't mean to belittle that in any way, there'll obviously be medics who are going to want to check on him. Uh, does he show that he's a durable type of of big receiver? Because we all know that the bigger, longer receivers tend to tend to get themselves banged up pretty badly. It seems to me that this was only isolated this past year, and I, I, I don't see a durability question. Do you? Uh, no, he, he played through um, played through everything. I mean, he, he was just a consistent guy. He was out there every practice, every game, going through it. And, and that ankle injury, you could see it kind of happen. As he's crossing the – you know, of course he's, he got – he gets hurt on a, on a touchdown because when wasn't he catching the ball last year? Uh, but, but he got, he got rolled up pretty badly. That, that was something where that happened and, and anybody's getting hurt uh, on that play. And, and then you kind of, with the hamstring thing here, you wonder, you know, is he, is he trying to push to get back so that he can show himself here? Again, you talk about kind of the work ethic and, and wanting to do everything that he can. Um, so, so I don't see this as being, you know, a consistent thing. It, it certainly wasn't something at USC where he's constantly taking time off and, and dealing with a bunch of nicks and, and uh, small little injuries. We're talking with Eric McKinney, managing editor at WeRSC.com, as we're previewing the USC 2022 class. Well, I think what Trojans fans know, but maybe the rest of the nation doesn't realize, is Drake London's not the only Drake coming out of the, U <laughs> the USC class. And they also have a kid by the name of Drake Jackson as we move to the defensive side of the ball. And a lot of people say, well, he's got the ability to play not only defensive end, but outside linebacker on the NFL level. And he certainly has versatility in that department. Where do you see his best fit, Eric, in terms of defensive end versus outside linebacker as he makes the move? Defensive end. Uh, uh, absolutely no question. I think that he, again, he has the drive and, and he'll put everything he has into playing outside linebacker and, and figuring out those drops. And it is something that he's worked on a lot. His ability to just put his hand in the ground and get after the quarterback is, is tremendous. Uh, and if a team can kind of find a position for him to do that 
and, and I'm talking like a huge majority of the time, uh, I think he's going to probably outplay where, where he goes. He can do stuff rushing the passer that is just, just incredible. And I think that his production was kind of hit by the coaches trying to use him in that role where he's dropping back and, and kind of not fully aware of, of what he's going to be asked to do season to season, play to play, game to game, that sort of thing. They, they worked on him dropping a bunch of weight. Now he's sort of added a bunch of weight this offseason. So, so once he kind of can get locked in on one spot and, and knows what he's doing, and, and I think going into the NFL and, and being able to really full-time focus on that, I think, I think he's got some really good football ahead of him. And, and I think that it was an up-and-down USC career. I mean, he showed flashes again where you just think, this, this kid has everything. I mean, you, you talk about Kayvon Thibodeau in this class. There were times in their in their Pac-12 careers where you're thinking, is, is Drake Jackson that kind of player? So I, I think he has that in him. Um, I, I think it, it's rushing the passer um, rather than being that kind of do-everything outside linebacker. Eric, I am so glad to hear you say this because for me, he is one of the most intriguing second-day prospects on the board. Um, to follow me here, he played at 255 apparently last year with USC came in in his measurements at 273. Remember, this is a six foot three defensive lineman. Uh, tells people in the interviews that I saw following his pro day, he wants to play at 265. So I look at the 34-inch arms, the 82-plus-inch wingspan, and when I see the tape, it's screaming 4-3 defensive end pass rusher. Do not put him at defensive end in 3-4, and do not put him as a stand-up outside linebacker. Agree? It sounds like you do. I, I, th- I think that's a great spot for him. Yes. Just, <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's fine against the run. I, I think he can absolutely kind of hold his own there. Um, I, I, I would not have him dropping into coverage. I, I just think every snap that you don't have him attacking the quarterback and, and trying to get into the backfield is, is a wasted snap for him. When you look at his sack production, I'm not saying that it's not impressive, but maybe for a guy that, to your point, you saw flashes of maybe Kayvon Thibodeau at times. Is there a reason why he hasn't had maybe that monster sack season during his time at USC? Is that because of most of the attention went his way? He just didn't win his one-on-one battles consistently? What would you attribute to that? I think it's part of that. I think there were teams that definitely schemed against him. When when USC won, you can go back and kind of look at, at games. When USC won, Drake Jackson made a gigantic pass rush or some kind of defensive play in those games. He he affected games to the point where if, if it's pressure on a quarterback, if it's something like that, he found a way to make an impact. I just The, the USC defense as a whole the last few years has not been – the, you know, you, you don't have the, the back end that's helping the front guys put pressure by, you know, covering well. And it, it just didn't work kind of in harmony through all three levels of that defense. And, and you see that in the, in the numbers, you know, that, that other teams were able to put up. Um, so, yeah, he, he didn't end up being kind of the guy that, that generated sack after sack after sack. I, I think there was some supporting cast. Stuff and I also like I said I, I I don't know if he ever really got comfortable when he's asked to to drop weight and to play this you know different position where as a freshman they really just kind of were able to put him 
at defensive end and say, you know, get after it, get, you know, get to the quarterback. All right, Eric, I got two guys now, two corners I want to talk to you about, third-day picks, love their skill sets, okay? What I don't love is their technique and their inconsistencies and their production. Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart, who simply because of their measurables and their skills will intrigue some people to take them somewhere low in the draft. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's it, right? It's you're, you're kind of rolling the dice on what are you going to get from those guys. With Chris Steele, you're going to get – he was a, a big-time recruit. Uh, he's got that, that work ethic and that professional mindset where you never worry about, is he going to show up? Is he going to give us everything that we've got? He, he's kind of built for that. The, the athleticism, the technique, the, that's, of that, that's all kind of things where USC fans were hoping – I think to see more from him during his USC career, he, I don't know if it was his fault. He kind of got hit early on as, Oh, this is a guy that grabs and this is a guy that, that will draw penalties. I think the referees, the officials started to see that. And, and he got hit with a few during his career that absolutely should not have been called. And, but it's one of those things where once you get sort of branded there, that kind of stuff happens. Uh, he's the guy that, that I think, is the more likely guy to be able to do it. Isaac Taylor Stewart came in as one of the fastest recruits in the country when he got to USC, and, and his athleticism kind of jumps off the page. Did he ever become a complete corner in terms of having all the technique and, and you know reliability to, hey, let's put that guy out there and count on him? I think that he still has a, a little ways to go there. But, again, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, you, you look at the, the – Gil said, and you look at you know what could we get from these guys, and they're going to be a couple of intriguing guys. Uh, I think in the past, you know, a USC corner that had those careers and, and those kind of measurables, you take them. USC, the last let's say five, six, seven years, doesn't seem to have gotten kind of the benefit of the doubt from NFL teams where where they'll just take a, an SC guy, you know, sixth, seventh round just to do that. So. Uh, SC fans certainly hoping that they get in there at the end of the end of the draft, but uh, maybe kind of undrafted free agents or that kind of thing. But not going to be surprised if if they really push and, and end up hanging on to a roster. Eric, I want to stay in the secondary and throw out another guy that may also be in that territory at the safety position, Isaiah Polamau, and this is somebody that has made some interceptions at times, has made some opportunistic plays. It looks like maybe he could be a guy that's got some good instincts in the box, but also fit is a bit of a question mark on the NFL level. Where do you see his upside and where his landing spot position-wise could be at the next level? Yeah, I, I mean, I, he had as, as much of an up-and-down career, really, as anyone that I can remember at USC. When, when he came on, he played... He got, got hurt early in his career, but played fairly early, and, and it looked like, hey, this is, this is going to be a guy. This last season, and, and again, I don't know if um, it was just kind of the, the way the program sort of fell apart after game two when, when they made the decision to move on from Clay Helton or if it was the, the scheme or what, but he kind of disappeared, got passed up by, by a true freshman there, um, and, and it just was never – was never consistent. I, I thought we saw him in the spring and, and during fall camp, and his coverage skills looked great. They actually used him kind of as, as like a nickel uh, in the slot a little bit and, and coming off the edge and putting pressure. Uh, 
and I thought that he looked pretty good in that spot. Then the lights come on and the game start, and it's just giving up touchdown passes. And, and the coaches talked a lot about um, kind of losing a losing a sense of of you know that attack and a, and aggression and, and just kind of a comfort level there, and kind of needing to find himself again. And, and so you don't you don't want to hear about that as you know sure. from a, a veteran veteran senior guy uh, back there who's supposed to be one of the leaders of the defense. So. I think this offseason gives him a chance to kind of regroup and reset. But you talk about a, a guy who, who looks the part, you know, can, can run and uh, understands it. He's a, he's a vocal leader. Uh, he gets the game, all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, if, if you just look at the film from this last season, it, it, I think it might be tough for NFL teams to say we like the, the trajectory um, of where that's going. But, again, you're, you're going to get a hard worker. You're going to get a guy – you know, who gets it and, and puts everything in. And, and there are flashes there on his USC tape of, yeah, interceptions and, and good coverage and all of that. Um, what is the consistency, though, that, that you're getting from him? Last one from me, Eric. It's another mystery guy for me, a guy I could see as maybe a, a late third-day pick that's running back Keontae Ingram, three years at Texas, okay, 5'11", 220, runs a four five three. And I did see the stats indicate that for his career, he averaged five and a half yards a carry. But here's the problem. I look at a guy like that, and I'm screaming at him on the, on the tape, why are you not running more downhill? Why are you not more ferocious? Why are you not showing more strength and power with the kind of physicality that you should be having? Help me out with this one. It's a mystery. You would have fit in well in the Coliseum stands last year. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that was... Okay. That that was, I think, the knock. You know, get your foot in the ground and, and get up field. Uh, and, and that was kind of the thing for your for Keontae. I, I really like him. Uh, great kid, hard worker, leader, you know, knows everything. All, all the intangibles are there. I think the skills there, there just didn't seem to be – I thought the USC offensive line last year did did well. They I, I think they played well. There didn't seem to be a lot of confidence from the running backs and the running game, just in, in sort of the play calls and, and how that flowed. And so because I think he was never allowed to kind of get into a, a serious rhythm, I think that sort of played a part um, in what you're talking about. But he's a guy who's really improved out of the backfield, can catch. And, and yeah, if he can kind of get that where it's just, I'm a big guy, I need to take somebody on and fall forward a couple yards. Uh, I, I think that's the part of it. I think you see a, a lot of college guys now where, hey, every play is meant to go 80 yards. You know, we're going to get you in space and, and you're going to take it the distance. So when there's someone in their way, it's like, wait, what's going on here? That this is what this is supposed to look like. So getting him to, to kind of do that and take that on, I think is interesting. I, I think, you know, we saw Gary Brightwell at, at Arizona. I think there's, you know, maybe some comparisons there as, as that kind of kind of running style if Keontae can get to that point, but he's a guy that, that I like, and, and I do think that there's going to be a fit for him somewhere in the NFL, but yeah, getting him to, to fully buy into, you, you know, you got to be the battering ram if you're going to be the big back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good, but but he showed, because and that was it, right? There, there were some spin moves, there was some kind of stuff where he was able to, to create extra yardage and, and that sort of thing, you know, getting outside and doing that. Uh, it, it's buying into sort of the, the full thing of you also got to pick up the, the two yards, you know, between the tackles and, and that sort of thing. 
Got to be patient. Speaking of Gary Brightwell, he actually went to the Giants in the sixth round last year and was a special teamer in his first season with Big Blue. He is Eric McKinney, managing editor at WeRSC.com. Eric, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again for joining us. Great stuff, Eric. Thank you. You got it. Eric McKinney with us here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Before we wrap up, just a few reminders. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925. You can also visit Giants.com suites for more information. As that will wrap up, Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running again at noon Eastern on Thursday. We'll continue to preview the NFL draft as we'll have two schools on the docket to look forward to. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.